Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Jason Murphy, and uh, this is Wednesday night. This is Against the Stream. Glad you guys are here. And those of you online, those of you in the room, if you weren't here, then I would be sitting by myself. So I'm glad you're here. Not that I, I mind sitting by myself, actually. It's kind of nice sometimes. Um, so that's what we do here. We, uh, we do some meditation. And we talk about, um, typically we talk about the teachings of the Buddha and freedom from suffering. It's the primary, uh, primary practice. And I've been working with a theme, uh, working with the Four Noble Truths, and we're going to be kind of continuing. I think we've got a little sidetracked or a little, I didn't quite finish the Second Noble Truth um, last week. So we'll kind of, I'll give you an overview, those of you who are first time here and then or tuning in, and then uh, we'll delve in a little more to the uh, welcome, delve in a little bit more to the second noble truth and then get into the third noble truth and take it from there. All right. Anyone uh, new to meditation that's here or new to the center? Okay, great. Welcome in the real. R-I-I-R-L. Isn't that what it's called? I don't know. What do the, kid, what do the kids say these days? Yeah. I'm, I'm also new. Brand new. Is that Kevin? Yeah. Yeah, hi. All right. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks Thank for joining you. in. Thank you all. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Okay, yeah. The rest of you look like uh, the same mugs that show up every <laughs> every week, which I appreciate. Consistency is really important for this practice. Um, yeah, being able to show up for ourselves, show up for our practice, sit in community, it's really useful. Uh, a lot of times people talk about, I actually started um, a meditation group, I don't know, 20 years ago because I was just feeling really isolated sitting alone in my room, you know, and it was harder to do if I like knew I had a, a group to show up to. And at that time I wasn't even, I was like barely like teaching meditation. I, we would like, you know, read something out of a book and we'd all just kind of sit together. Um, similar to the way kind of refuges, we'd kind of take turns, you know, kind of leading the meditation, but it just was so helpful to have, other people and you know some responsibility like i felt that was accountable for me to show up and um i still feel that way i feel like uh you know would i uh be meditating wednesday night at 7 30 if uh, you guys weren't here P probably not i 
probably be eating a slice of pizza and seeing what's on Netflix, you know? <laughs> so thanks. I appreciate it. Um, just so you know. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, meditate. We're going to meditate for a bit, and then we'll talk about some Dharma type, type stuff. Oh, awesome. I'm glad that you guys brought, put, put some cushions back there. Yeah, just, a, I guess, a couple things about uh, meditation and practice. You know, posture is uh, important. It's useful. Being able to have a kind of an upright spine um, and then allowing the, yeah, feel free, grab a cushion. There's these ones that are here too, just they're already set up, just so you know if you want, just pull that aside or whatever. Um, but yeah, having a posture that's workable, that's sustainable. Um, you, sometimes I notice people have their chin up when they're doing meditation and, uh, you know, for this a 30 minute meditation, it won't be that painful, won't be that strenuous. Um, but it's a good idea to just kind of try to find that middle ground where the head feels kind of neutral and then the spine kind of right, raising the spine or the head up towards the ceiling, also useful. And, um, what else? Oh, if you're sitting in a chair, kind of slumping your back is, uh, often, not great. It usually will promote some lower back pain and uh, some sleepiness. So trying to find a way to kind of find to find that just just right. And the sit bones, allowing the back to be straight but not rigid, allowing the head to not be too low or too high. You know, the middle way. Cool. It's helpful to allow the eyes to close. It's not necessary to close the eyes, but it is helpful. Um, in, this in this lineage, we tend to have our eyes closed to promote more introspection. We're so focused throughout the day of seeing everything around us. Of course, if you don't feel comfortable with your eyes closed, you can allow your eyes to be open and then just allow them to be downcast, kind of looking in front of you, just like down to the floor or whatnot. <clears throat> All right, so we'll start just by opening to the comings and goings of sound, which you've already been doing as I've been talking. Just the sounds outside the room. And the sounds inside the room. And if you can, just finding a way to allow the sound to be in the background of your attention. We're not trying to shut out sound, but we're also, we're not necessarily using it as a meditation focus or distraction. 
just there, similar to the thinking mind. The thinking mind is really in the background of our attention. It's not going to stop thinking, just like the ears don't stop hearing. We'll aim the attention towards its experience of breathing. It's helpful to, I don't know, pick a point, aim the attention, tip of the nose, rise and fall of the belly. Perhaps the lungs expanding, contracting, the chest, the rib cage. Somewhere where it's easy to make contact. So just utilizing this simple few phrases, aim, connect, and sustain. Aiming the attention towards this experience of breathing. making contact with this present time experience. Breath, body, sound, thoughts. Perhaps emotion. And then sustain your attention as long as you can with the experience of breathing as an anchor. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out.
sometimes it's helpful to give the mind a job so it doesn't just babble on. So you can say, use a couple kind of cues, breathing in, you can just say in or breathing in, breathing out, just silently saying to yourself, breathing out or out. as a gentle reminder to stay present. A few other suggestions would be here and now, or calm, alert. You can play with it for a minute. If none of those are appealing, find something for yourself or just aim the attention again and again on this experience of breathing.
again and again, recognizing when the attention wanders off with that sense of friendliness or kindness with the mind, aiming the attention back, relaxing into the experience of breathing, observing what's arising in the heart, in the mind, and then allowing whatever arises to stay for a time, pass away, as all things do. Relax, observe, allow.
If you're new to meditation, perhaps staying with this instruction, relax, observe, allow. And if you feel settled in the mind, in the body, the invitation is to expand to feeling tones as the as the senses experience different sounds and sensations and thoughts, feelings. Seeing if you can kind of tune into the subtle energy of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. including when the mind wanders off into thinking. Was it a pleasant thought? Was it an unpleasant thought? Neutral? Not getting lost in the thought or the sound or the sensation. Just recognizing the feeling tone. And then gently coming back to the anchor. What is the feeling tone of the breath?
further reflection would be to turn this kind attention toward the mind, just like we've been kind of observing sounds, sensations in the body, thoughts, moods, perhaps observing is there themes Again, not getting lost in the story, perhaps noticing future thinking or past. Maybe there's some rehashing or some rehearsing, some history or mystery. And again, just gently noting, thinking past or thinking future and then coming back to the anchor the present time experience seeing if there's a feeling tone associated Or if all these instructions and noting or labeling feels like too much, feels like too much tinkering, just here, now, this breath, this sitting, breathing body, where we began.
One time I was at this monastery, <clears throat> I was there, I was on like a 15-day meditation retreat at this monastery in northern Thailand. And I had, uh, I wanted to email my teacher. Uh, my primary teacher at the time was this woman, sweet woman. I, I call her my Dharma grandma. Her name was Mary Orr. <coughs> and she was like, wanted me to check in with her about my adventures, you know. And so for probably three days, because I was on a silent meditation retreat at this monastery, monks are kind of in charge, you know, they're pretty strict, the monks, you know, and um, you could only access email or computers at a certain time. And so I would sit and just write emails in my head around what I was going to say, and then this happened, and then that happened. And then I would go and I would go and I would, I had missed the, e the email time. Damn it. You know, next day, this went on for several days and I swear that they just kept telling me it wasn't, Oh no, not time, not time. You know, like I just kept, I think that they were like messing with me. Like I couldn't, they didn't really want me to use the computer. You ever have experience like that where you just kind of, have something on repeat in your mind you have a task that you're stuck on I find that this um, meditation practice what I was just kind of explaining um, the, this kind of moving through the different foundations of mindfulness and that third foundation of mindfulness being mindfulness of mind so we're, we're mindful, we, once we calm the mind and collect the attention, then we can actually begin to utilize it instead of it being unruly and out of fucking control, doing whatever the hell it wants, like it's been doing most of the day, right? Um, you know, once we have a little bit of a disciplined mind, and I don't mean that as like, like a negative, like disciplined, the word discipline actually means a disciple unto oneself which I found fascinating because I always thought it was like had this negative connotation. And so to be a disciple unto oneself, to discipline the mind and then to utilize it for what, for the benefit of awakening, right? So then to turn the attention toward the mind and go like, what's going on up here? <laughs> you know, um, oftentimes Noah will say, you know, in the beginning, it's good to just ignore the mind which I totally agree. I think it's super helpful. Um, like it's, you know, it's generally just kind of shouting it's bad advice. The thing is that for some people, the mind has become a refuge. The only thing, right? Maybe the body, not good. Emotions, not good. Other people, not good. So, the intellect becomes the refuge. And so the, when you say to someone who has relied on their smarts, just ignore the mind. It's usually full of shit anyway. Which is true, but that's a hard thing. So this kind of changing the relationship to go, okay, I'm going to observe the mind, 
but I'm going to do so in kind of a non-attached, like non-personalized way. Like, um, just like watching the breath. It's really the same idea. The breath is breathing itself. The mind is thinking itself. So we're not trying to reject the mind. And I think in the third foundation, which I kind of pointed to, we can begin to see themes in the mind. And then eventually you begin to see, oh, that's a helpful theme, perhaps, or a helpful mind state. Oh, and that's an unhelpful mind state, ultimately leading to, you know, sadness or obsession, suffering of some sort. Make sense? Thoughts, quest, or questions, questions about the practice, the instruction that I gave, and if you're uh, on online, uh, if you can just raise your hand. I think it's in more or in the participant. And if you're here, just raise your alive hand, yeah. the one that's hopefully attached. Any questions about what I just said or the instructions? How was it for people to do that? What was that meditation? Good? What was good about it? What did you notice about? Do you, do you have, well, just reminding me that um, just uh, like as we started, and I was thinking, and then it was just like, oh, just knowing that I'm going to be coming to the A little cloud can go off. And so I missed it, but it didn't continue again. And then I did breath work to really sort of set those that. Uh huh. I mean like deeper kind of cleansing breaths, like that kind yeah. of thing? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And then um, also it is just neat, you know, like oh it was a thought, but there was no real movie feeling. Uh-huh. Great. So good to know. So good to see. Yeah. 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 Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Please. Kind of nature resign, been able to sit <laughs> right. cross-legged and all yeah. that. Yeah. And only this week, I'm like, okay, it's actually working. I just didn't sit for this time. Uh-huh. And it's been so great coming back to the garage. Mm-hmm. Just like really, I, I love the stability of the pose. Mm-hmm. And it's so great like, because I haven't had it, I really appreciate it. Yeah, great. Oh, cool. Even though it's like, Whatever it is, uh -huh. I'm, you know, really appreciative. The feeling of that, uh-huh. Sure. The meditation that I've done before, and I go through all the stuff that I Mm-hmm. I also want to say, I, I, I like the word feeling. Mm. Um, because it just points to a direct experience of um Can you say more about 
why you choose that word? Mm. So, um, did, could you guys hear? No, not really. Uh, he was talking about being able to sit on the ground uh, in the Burmese style and uh, really appreciating that and how, helping him kind of ground. And then he mentioned about feeling tone uh, the, and my choice of that word and to say a little bit more about it. Did I get that? Is that about yeah. sums it up? So the word uh, or the term, it's a term feeling tone is, um, and you know, I'm not sure if it's two words or one word. The, the Pali word is Vedana or Vedana, but really it's Vedana. And um, it means uh, to perceive and to know, like at the same time, perceive and know. And so uh, what happens is like kind of, so it's, and it's the second foundation of mindfulness. So the first foundation is like, oh, these are my senses. I can see and smell and feel and touch and, oh shit, I actually am embodied, you know? Because first, that's the first fucking step. Get embodied. Because most of us live a short distance from our body. I don't know if you noticed that or not. And then you get embodied for like a moment or two, like when you get scared or when you're almost going to get in a car accident or you're riding your bike or you're doing yoga. There's something that's in surfing, skateboarding, something that's embodying, right? You know. You ever notice how when you drive the same route, like I used to commute, I used to do this 45 minute commute. And uh, once, you know, once I got in the rhythm of it, I just would, my mind would just, think about other things like i wasn't i was barely doing anything it's just like autopilot right the buddha uh really basically called us zombies like that we were sleepwalking not awake not embodied so the first foundation is get embodied second foundation is now that we're awake to our senses now that we've come to our senses What's that like? <laughs> you know, and the feeling tone, the Vedana, which is actually a really key factor in seeing craving and non-craving. Because we tend to crave pleasurable experiences. We tend to uh, push away unpleasant experiences. And then the non-craving or non-aversion is what we usually call neutral or boring. Right? So pretty much, if you're not like, yeah, or no, you're fucking sleeping, <laughs> right? But that can actually be a beautiful place to experience freedom from suffering, because that's actually what it is. If it's not labeled as bored, like, uh, you know, people say, oh, I'm bored, or I was bored. I feel so, God, I would meditate, but it's so boring. It's so boring, I gotta like make up shit to do in my head, you know, between the bells, right? Like my emails, you know. So fascinated in all, and I, and then I wrote like a, just a, and then I wrote like just like one paragraph. I'm like doing great on my meditation retreat, da, da, da. I'll email you again when I'm done. It was really funny. So, 
Yeah, so Vedana is this kind of to perceive and to know. So we're receiving from our senses, and then we're knowing what that, what that experience is like, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then that gives rise to um, the, you know, the, the mind states. Then we can begin to see what uh, one, one teacher calls mental fabrications. Because that's what most of it is anyway. Just a fabrication of the mind. So anyway, I don't want to get too, you know, technical there, but I love that. And I love that. And, and yeah, the feeling tone is, it's like, a, it's, it's not something that we just like, oh yeah, feeling tone. Oh, I totally know what you mean. You know, it's a, a felt sense, but hopefully within my description, it, it helps you a little bit more. Was it helpful to hear it, hear it that way? Okay. Reminds me of the ballet position. Say it again. Ballet position. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing. Well, what did you say? You, uh, to perceive and to know. At, at the same time. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So the perception is the seeing of the sense the sense experience, including thinking. And then to know is to know the feeling tone of it, the vibration of it. And then the next step is to then not react, which normally we're just reacting. Pleasant, unpleasant, pleasant, unpleasant. I don't like this. I like that. I like, I like this. I like that. Sleeping. I like this. I like that. Hungry. I like this. I like that. Just like fucking robots all day long. Craving, aversion, craving. Aversion. I mean, maybe your mind and your, you know, your body isn't like mine, but I'm pretty sure it is. And that's what my experience has been of doing, you know, practice. And, and, and then we're so inundated with so much stimulation, right? So it's a huge distraction. So then we come here and it's, and a lot of times, what do we want to do? Take a nap. You know, the brain just goes too. Just below that is this perceive and know. Just below that, if we can get pushed past the sleepiness or the boredom, comes insight. So keep going. Yes? So is the point to get to where it's neutral? Good question. I, I don't, I don't why, totally know. Why are we labeling pleasant or unpleasant mm. rather than just relaxing in it? and just allowing it to be whatever it is. Well, we are. We're labeling it so we don't, so we can perceive and know and not get caught in the, what would the word, in the, not get caught in the entanglement of craving or the, in the aversion, because they're both suffering, or the aversion of um you know dislike or pushing away right so that's 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 why we're kind of training the mind to to begin and the body to begin to kind of perceive and know pleasant unpleasant because that because otherwise we're like a dog just going just sniffing everything sniffing butts and flowers and a tree and like 
oh, oh I'm going to catch this whiff and catch that whiff. And, oh, I don't, you know, I don't like this. And then bark at this. And you know what I mean? Like it's the animal instinct. You know, it is, it's not our fault. This is just instinctual, right? It's why, it's one of the reasons why the Buddha called uh, non-practitioners, uh, you know, uninstructed worldlings, right? When what, what our goal is, is to begin some, some instruction, some embodiment, kind of out of the delusion, and then to come to our senses, yeah? Is that helpful? Yes? Yeah, I like that word neutral, because it's neutral with the peaceful stance. I've dealt with people, including employers, where they just savage, Yeah. Yeah, you care. Yeah. It is, yeah. This, I mean, it's absolutely tough to do. And I guess more to the point, and then I see uh, your, your hand, Rachel, more to the point of your question, you know, I don't know if it's like the purpose to like maintain neutrality, you know, because uh, I don't know if that's the case because we have these instincts, right? But to be aware of the extremes, right, I think is, is, is important. And there is a lot to be taught and a lot to be experienced in the equipoise of neutrality. And, you know, um, but it doesn't mean like we don't have a sense of humor, or, like we're like, like literally like, you know, kind of androids or whatever, or like one of the cyborgs or whatever, you know, like we're not like data, you know. And we're not trying to be. But to just gain an, an awareness and to not get to the extremes like you're talking about, right, of like, and then not feeding <clears throat> Oh, I'm lost in, in craving, or I'm lost in pleasure seeking, or I'm lost in aversion. Most pleasure seek well, this isn't totally true. For some people, pleasure seeking is an aversion. I, I don't want to feel this, so I'm gonna seek this. Right? And for other people, it's like I don't want to feel this, so I'm just gonna push this away. They're not, they're not necessarily seeking pleasure. They're just protecting themselves, walling off, locking it down, being neutral, locking it down, avoiding aversion, avoiding conflict, avoiding, which it, it's not horrible, but it also can bring suffering. Yeah. Okay, Rachel. Am I talking about the second noble truth? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, Rachel. 
have to unmute. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. I was thinking about the question of, um, are we trying to like make, get to neutral? And um, my teacher up here, when he talks about these things, the takeaway that I kind of got over the last couple of years, um, like my meditation, I started meditating like 20 years ago when my first son was born and my meditation has never really gotten any better. Like I've never quieted my mind. My mind has never been calm. It still does the same shit it has always done. So I, I don't know that anybody should meditate the way I meditate because there has been no improvement in my sitting sessions. But the thing that the benefit, I think, for me at least, of naming what's happening mm -hmm. is that now when I go out into the rest of my life, the space between sen like my sense organs taking in information and assigning a value to it and then reacting, I have a bigger gap between reacting than I used to. So I think maybe I cause a little bit less wreckage than I used to. Mm -hmm. So like when I sit here, I'm still like the mind is still doing its job of creating thoughts all the fucking time, unless I'm unconscious. But the exercise that you guys give about stepping out and observing that happening and being able to label it has created a bigger gap between like, I'm not just a dog reacting all the time anymore. Like now I can watch the dog and say, do I want to jump on that dog and follow it? Or do I want to just kind of wait? Yeah. So I don't know if the Buddha intended that, but that's definitely been an unexpected benefit in my practice. Thank you, Rachel, for uh, so succinctly sharing that. And um, yeah, that's, you're, you're doing it right. I would disagree with you. You've probably made lots of progress. I mean, it, that is lots, you have made lots of progress. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not trying to, you know, not have thoughts, not have feelings, you know. Um, there's a, there's been a long time of this, like, just this misunderstanding that being spiritual means that you don't, get fucking angry or loud or you know what I mean? Like, that's what I love about Dharma punks. That's what I love about against the stream and I have for so long is that um, Noah and the, you know, the rest of the people that I've in, in, encountered with against the stream have just been like, come as you are and let's work with that, you know? And um, you know, I'm Irish, Italian, I'm loud and you know, I'm like, can be angry. I'm, you know, used to be a crackhead, you know what I mean? Like, and all that's acceptable. And where do I go from here? You know, and what do I notice now? And that, and what you said, Rachel, there's this quote from Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl is uh, the, basically the grandfather of humanistic psychology. And uh, the quote is, between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And within that space lies a choice a choice for freedom or a choice for suffering. And what you're describing is exactly what the Buddha intended, which is for us to recognize that space and suffer less. And then, you know, apparently there's a point where you 
uh, are just living in that space and you're not suffering at all. Uh, I haven't, I'm in fact, I haven't figured that out yet, but you know, I definitely suffer less. Yeah. So thanks. John. Hi, um, I had a question about how to deal with physical pain when you're meditating. Um, like I was dealing with some of that when we were meditating earlier and I almost made it the whole way, but I had to take a break because I was feeling some pain in my knee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great, thanks, John. Um, I mean, there, you know, there's several ways to really work with pain. One is that life is painful. And when we try to sit still, there, that becomes a physical manifestation of the reality of living in a body, that it's uncomfortable, and that we deal with uncomfortable situations. So there's a little bit of like, okay, can you, and it sounds like you were doing that, you were like, you know, can I be with this, can I, uh, not hating it, like, let's not hate the knee, you know, or hate the back, because that actually just makes it worse. Um, you know, there's this like, you know, have you ever stubbed your toe and then you get pissed at your toe and you're like, fucking, uh, and then you, you know, you break something or something else happens and then you're in a super agitated state instead of like just being aware of the sensations of the toe that is stubbed, you know, or that is there's pain there or there's sensation there. So there's that, which is kind of like, I think about knee pain a lot and I've had some back pain too, where there's the like the initial reactive, not your fault, instinctual survival mechanism of like, fuck, that's painful, right? Oh, there's pain. And then there's the, the other instinct of like, avoid pain, right? And so, which is also true for our emotional state and our psychological state and our physical state, you know? So that's why it can be useful because life is actually kind of painful sometimes. And so there is the investigation of that without making it a problem more than it is, right? So there's that. Sounds like you did that actually. And then there's when the ego gets involved and it's like, I'm just gonna sit through this pain. I'm just gonna like grind it out, right? And then that's actually not useful. And so um, we're not statues, right? So move and do so mindfully. You know, there's a difference between tingling in the toes, maybe, you know, from the foot to the knee uh, falling asleep, and there's like tingling and numbness, and like, you know, feeling like there's a knife grinding into your knee or your back, you know, um, so that, you know, so also that's part of it. So bringing mindfulness and attention to uh, the place where we're experiencing discomfort. And that means emotionally and psychologically and physically. Yeah. I think that's, that's what I would say about that. Thanks. Sure, John. Tara. I love that you guys are asking questions. Hi, guys. Um, this was a real, this has been really wonderful. Um, I, so my question is, so the way I'm understanding it and the way I've kind of always understood it, although I'm very much a newbie about all this is, um, you're not getting caught in the story or the, uh, 
this is how I try to interpret it, but I don't know if I'm kind of interpreting it right. And then there's a question. So if I'm detaching, like if you, like that comment about like, you know, there is anger, there is pain, there is sadness, there is happiness, and not really associating with that emotion, but just acknowledging that it is, it is occurring. Um, there's the night, the, the freedom from that is like that freedom of this attachment to that feeling or thought, which allows for more space, kind of like some other people were talking about. And um, it allows for maybe more opportunity for ways of being and thinking and being. But then what I don't understand is like right now I'm trying to, I do work with a therapist about like identifying feelings because I repress a lot of feelings. And then what happens is I get very resentful and it comes out in all kinds of other ways, right? Um, and so how does it fit in with the feeling part of this with like, you know, is it repress, like, is there like a repression part of this that's happening as a result of not associating and not identifying to that level that the mind typically wants to, or the heart typically wants to, or something like that. I don't know how to phrase any of this, but that's my best shot. <laughs> and that's a great question. And I, and what it actually talks to is, or speaks to is the difference between Western psychology and Buddhism. That's actually what you're kind of pointing to. Um, Western psychology is all about, we have lots of words for different emotions and there's a, lot, a whole range of emotions. And it's important to be able to identify uh, what those are, different feelings, different emotions. And um, the, the aversion is the repression. So um, I, we're, we're definitely not saying like, don't feel your feelings like actually be and just in the same way that I gave that third uh the third foundation of mindfulness which this is part of that kind of okay stabilizing the mind and then when you get quiet enough when you drop down below the surface and might maybe experience some of the the neutrality what you might actually come up with is like deeper level of emotion like like um what some people call secondary emotion, what some therapists or psychologists call secondary emotions, which are, are primary emotions. Um, so yeah, we're definitely not saying to, it's definitely not about repression because repression is aversion. Uh, and it's a, you know, perhaps a useful survival skill uh, at some point, um, but not, not useful in the therapeutic realm. So maybe I'm actually saying that they're not actually that different because I'm such a kind of a Buddhist psychologist. So to me, um, this practice actually helps to allow the emotion to come up. And that's really more about the, the relax, observe, allow instruction um, than the, you know, we're not necessarily, I mean, we're, so we're, we're also labeling, just like we're labeling, you know, thoughts, but we're not getting caught in it. And if you really boil down, boil it down, and this is really what I think the feeling tone is, is, comes from. If you really boil it down, all emotions in the wheel of emotions or the list of emotions or the funny, weird faces that they have, you know, there's all these kind of new ways that we can identify feelings because, uh, 
you know, depending on who you are or how you were raised, you may not have learned to identify feelings. Uh, maybe, uh, but if we, but if we look at them all, there's kind of only three. There's pleasant feelings, there's unpleasant feelings, and there's neutral feelings, right? And so that's what the Buddha is pointing to, is like getting down to just kind of identifying it. Because there's the other side of the spectrum, that's maybe not you, Tara, but is the other side of the Venn diagram, which is uh, people who are constantly overwhelmed by their feelings. They have too many feelings. They have feelings that are bubbling up all the time, and they can't identify them in that way, too, because they're so overwhelmed. And so by starting to, again, collect the attention, learn to kind of, oh, this is a pleasant feeling. This is an unpleasant feeling. This is a neutral feeling. So sometimes instead of how do you feel and then, you know, looking at the list of, you know, I feel um, perturbed or, you know, like whatever the you know, English word is just to kind of, oh, is it pleasant, unpleasant or neutral is a starting point. And then from there, you can begin to kind of articulate just like saying mad, sad, glad, you know. No, I like that. That's a good that's a better place for me to start because it's more simple. I like that. Thank you. No problem. All right. So this is the second, <laughs> the second noble truth um, is the truth of suffering, you know, and uh, the third noble truth is that there is an extinction to the truth of suffering. Like it's possible. I mean, there's an extinction to suffering. It's possible to relieve ourselves from suffering. So the, the, from a, psychological kind of psychoanalytic perspective um the buddha gave a, a first identified the the problem you know which is that there is suffering that we experience it and that we're often uh either seeking pleasure to avoid or cause or uh, pu pushing it away um and so pushing it away meaning pain the second noble truth is really the diagnosis. And the diagnosis uh, is that the cause of suffering is craving, selfish, self-centered craving. Me, mine, obsessive, grasping, you know, that's, there's lots of different ways to talk about it. And our addiction to pleasure-seeking or our reactive habitual tendency to pushing away that which is unpleasant uh, is the is the cause of that so learning to kind of be in the neutrality of things helps us to then experience the freedom from that suffering that uh, pull or push third noble truth is the prognosis the prognosis is good the prognosis is through this practice, uh, through the wisdom of the Buddha, through our own, our own wisdom that we all have. Um, and if we apply this to this practice, apply this practice over a period of time, it's not gonna happen right away. You know, uh, we all want the lightning bolt of wisdom um, or enlightenment. Good luck. I mean, there are, you know, there's some stories of people who, you know, they get kind of struck wise, you know, struck enlightened. 
but I've never actually met anyone that way. Uh, apparently, that's what happened to Eckhart Tolle. Have you ever talked with Eckhart Tolle? Doesn't have a lot of social skills. But hey, maybe he does. I don't know. I'm not trying to judge. I'm just saying that's very, very I never actually met that guy, but um, but I like his books. I like the things he has to say, but apparently he had one of those wisdom experiences. Um, but you know, someone like the Dalai Lama at six years old was then taken and get, you know, was set a, you know, was set up as a life of years, you know, 75 years of dedicated practice, you know, our teachers, um, myself, you know, uh, d dedicating years and years. It's a gradual awakening. But the prognosis is good. You kind of, kind of like uh, Rachel said, you know, there's, there's a, a bigger gap between uh, my crazy thoughts and my reactivity today. Yeah. I think I said a few weeks ago, like I used to have just like a green light go, you know, like thought word, thought action. Like there was no yellow light, no red light, you know, no stop sign, you know, just it was go. And, um, you know, I've developed a stop sign. And sometimes I roll through the California roll, but I try to stop and take a moment, pay attention. Yeah. Also, I think no one, I like no one always says noting. Like, you get that noting before you get to react. Yeah. And then if you're in recovery, it's like noting, uh, awareness, and then do I need to go off on this? Yeah. And then. Yeah, noting, awareness, and then discernment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great example. Um, so the fourth noble truth is the path that leads to the end of suffering, the prescription. When uh, I work with someone, um, Definitely when I worked more in the mental health field, we had to like come up with, or when I worked, I worked in the medical field, come up with a treatment plan. Okay, this we're gonna do this and this and this and this to get you to the outcome that you want, which is, you know, to walk normally again or to live with less pain or to heal from trauma. And that's what the fourth noble truth is the prescription yeah. so uh, I'll maybe flush it out a little bit more next time any uh, last kind of thoughts questions before we end Okay, great. So please know that um, this center is run on the donation of those that attend. We don't charge at the door. Uh, we never will, at least not as long as I'm teaching here, um, because it's against our tradition. 
that our tradition is to rely on those who attend, rely on the goodness and the generosity of those who attend. And so, and yet there is a, you know, suggested $15 donation because we do have to pay the bills and we, you know, we just bought a new door and, you know, we're going to, we're going to get new windows. Um, hopefully that are uh, more intuitive. And um, yeah. So, you know, there's things that are happening and there's also uh, a retreat happening in October. Um, and there's, uh, you know, classes that are happening online. And so, so check us out at against the stream com. There's merch. You can buy shirts and hats and books and fucking pins and stickers and all kinds of shit. Or just show up. So thank you all for your attendance uh, in the room and on the Zoom. And we'll just take a moment uh, to gather all the goodness of our practice. <laughs> And take that in. You know, you deserve that. You showed up. You participated. And then knowing that we don't only do this for ourselves, that we practice to really kind of be better people and bring, uh, extend goodness out into the world and perhaps less suffering. And so we extend in all directions. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. Boom shakalaka. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.